Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's work to us today. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, do turn back to Revelation chapter 3 as we look at this passage this morning. And I wonder if you remember when milk used to be like this. Do you remember this sight? I remember this sight particularly when I was at school. Because when I was in the early years of primary school, we were down south at the time, We still received a half pint of milk each day just before our morning break. And maybe you remember that uh, as well. And so each day the the crate would be left outside uh, the door of the classroom. And ours was a kind of outside door. And someone would be sent outside to get this crate of milk. And everyone in the class would receive their half pint of milk. Now... Of course, depending on the time of year, the milk would be in various states of coldness. And maybe you remember this if you received milk at school. In the winter, it was ice cold. Do you remember that? It was wonderful. And sometimes we always had a wee straw and you had to to get your straw and you went through the the metal top and you had to try and break the ice because there was ice on the top of the milk. It was refreshing. It was cold. In the summer, the milk was cool, but no more than that. Now, each day, I don't know what it was like in your own school, if you received milk at school, but my school was always extra half pints of milk left over uh, each day. And just before the end of the school day, those who worked extra hard in the class that day were rewarded with an extra half pint of milk. Now, This was fine in the winter, when the milk was still nice and cold at the end of the day. But in the summer, 
it was hardly a treat. Indeed, you tried to avoid the milk because it had been out in the sun all day and it was in the verge of going off. It was lukewarm. And there's nothing worse, is there, than lukewarm milk. Because in my opinion, milk should only be in two states, shouldn't it? Either ice cold or hot, if you're going to put it in your coffee. That's the only two states it should be. Lukewarm is not what you want it to be. Now, today we're looking at our final church in our series, looking at the seven churches in Revelation. And today we're going to be thinking about the church in Laodicea and what the what Jesus says to the to the church there at that time. Now, to give you some background here, Laodicea is in what is modern day uh, Turkey, and you can see it uh, on the map uh, behind me. And over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at uh, what Jesus says to the church in all these different uh, places, and you can see Laodicea uh, just at the the bottom of the. Uh, the map uh, there. Now, Laodicea was a prosperous city. It was known for banking, medicine, and textiles. But the most important thing to know about this city, if you don't know anything about it at all, was that it was 10 miles away from another city called Colossae that had plentiful, cold drinking water. And it was 6 miles away from another city called Herapolis, which had hot springs. And so here was Laodicea, this this city, which was between the nice cool water and the place with the hot springs. But Laodicea, however, it's this city, lacked its own water supply, and its solution was inadequate. It had water flowing in by aqueduct, and that water arrived. And it was tepid. And it was contaminated with minerals. Its water was neither hot nor cold. It was lukewarm. Lukewarm and horrible. Now this context helps us to understand what Jesus says to this church in Laodicea. Because Jesus says that the church in this city in Laodicea is neither hot nor cold, but it's lukewarm. It's lukewarm. And therefore, because it's lukewarm, it's horrible, it's disgusting. And he's about to spit it out of his mouth. Now, the problem here is that this church thinks that it's rich. This church thinks that it's self-sufficient. But Jesus' verdict upon them is that they are wretched, they are poor, they're blind, they're naked. Their verdict upon themselves is, look, we're doing fine. We can rely on ourselves. Look at all the riches that we've got. But Jesus says, in reality, you're poor. You're naked. You're wretched. You're wretched. Now, why does Jesus say that? Well, because they're relying upon themselves. And they're not truly relying upon him. And as we've seen with all these churches... They're described as poor at any point when they they rely upon themselves and they think they're doing okay when actually they should be relying upon him. Because it's in Jesus that there is true hope. And so what we see is a a church which is complacent, a church which is self-reliant, and a church which is lukewarm. 
neither hot nor cold. It's tepid. It doesn't offer life or healing to the city in which it resides. And the question, as we come to church this morning, as individuals and as a church, is how do we feel about Jesus? Are we so concerned with ourselves and and so reliant upon ourselves that, that we forget about Jesus? We forget who Jesus is. We forget all that he has done. Are we so focused upon ourselves, upon our own situation? Because what Jesus is saying to this church in Laodicea is that they are not to be lukewarm about him. You see, there's nothing worse, is there? than someone being lukewarm about something, is there? Remember when you were at school? Who were the teachers that were best at teaching? Usually those who were passionate about their subject, who loved it, who wanted to to get it across to others. The one teachers you didn't particularly enjoy were those who had no passion, who didn't care, who were lukewarm. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? I'm the chaplain to Kilmarnock Football Club, as many as we know. And it'd be strange if you were at Rugby Park, as many were yesterday, and you reached the 85th minute and our both score. If you just sat there and said, oh, well, doesn't, doesn't really matter. Don't really care what the score is at the end of the day. That'd be really strange, wasn't it? Because in a football crowd, there's passion. They love their team. They support their team. They they long for their team to win. There are many challenges within the church, aren't there? And perhaps some of that comes because we are like the church in Laodicea. We're lukewarm. We're self-reliant. We're not truly passionate about our faith. Not truly passionate about Jesus. You see, we can be passionate about so many other things, can't we? About 22 men kicking a ball. But not passionate about the one thing that truly matters. Now, I love football, incidentally. Don't get me wrong. But I love Jesus more. Are we passionate about Jesus? The one who truly brings life and hope and love and peace. And are we not all looking for those things in our life? You see, sometimes we're so concerned, aren't we? About temporal things. Rather than thinking long term. And thinking about eternal things. And so this is a warning to the church in Laodicea. A warning that they are to change their ways and to repent and to be lukewarm no more. Let's either be hot or cold. Let's have something about you at least. Now let's not think here that Jesus is being harsh on the church in Laodicea. Because the whole reason that this letter is being written is that Jesus wants this church to repent. He wants them to repent. And he makes it clear that those he loves, he rebukes and disciplines. If Jesus didn't care about this church, he wouldn't have given them this warning. He wouldn't have said to them to to repent. He would have just left them as they were. He says to them, be earnest. 
and repent. Turn from your ways and come back to me. Put your faith and trust in me. That's what Jesus says. And maybe that's a word that we need to heed too. Now the last thing I want to think about today is from verse 20, which is a very famous verse, and which could be the conclusion to all these letters to the seven churches. Because in this verse, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. Up on the screen behind me is a very famous painting by a painter called Holman Hunt. And it's called Light of the World. And it's based on this verse, Revelation 3.20, from Revelation. In this picture you see Jesus standing at the door, knocking and waiting to be invited in. And you might not quite be able to see it, but there are are weeds and there's ivy growing over the door. It's as though it's not been opened for a long, long time. And every part of that painting has significance. There's little areas in which there are significant things that Holman Hunt has put in. What's most striking, and you can't see all of the door there, but what's most striking in the painting is that on the outside of the door, there is no handle. The only handle to this door is on the inside of the door. And so what we see here is is Jesus knocking at the door. But he doesn't force the door open. He waits. If we hear his voice, then it's up to us whether we open the door or not. The only handle is on the inside. And as the verse says, verse 20 of our passage, if the person opens the door, Jesus will come in. And you will eat with that person and they with him. Now, of course, in that culture, and in many cultures around the world, the ultimate in terms of acceptance, friendship, and hospitality is eating together. And so it is here. We open the door. And Jesus will come in and eat with us. We will know the presence of Jesus. We will know hope and peace and love and victory. And the next verse, verse 21, is all about victory. As we conclude this series this morning, what I want you to think about is this. None of the seven churches that we've looked at over these past number of weeks are perfect. Indeed, many of them have deep flaws. Our church here in West Kilbride is not perfect. We too have deep flaws. But the whole reason that Jesus writes these letters to the churches is not to to crush the churches and say, you're doing terribly and I'm just going to reject you. Rather, it was to bring life to the churches. It was to say to these churches, there's still a little time. Repent, turn from your wicked ways and turn to me before it's too late. Stop thinking about yourselves, thinking about your own riches. Stop thinking about being self-reliant and instead come to me. Put your faith and trust in me. 
That's a really important message, isn't it? For us as a church to not be lukewarm about God or to look to other things for our salvation. You see, the reality is you might have a nice car, you might have a nice house, but you cannot take that with you. Do we not need to think about eternal things? And in terms of salvation, do we truly know where we're going? The Christian message is that salvation is found in Jesus. And it's found in Him alone. And for us as individuals, maybe we know deep in our hearts that Jesus is knocking at the door. But maybe we've been ignoring Him for so long. But maybe now is the time to repent. To open the door. And we know that when we open the door, that Jesus says, He promises that He will come in. And He will eat with us. He will give us the peace that we are after. That we might know love. And that we have the promise of an eternity with Him. Maybe today you're uncertain about your life. You're uncertain about what the future might hold. You don't truly know what's going to happen in your life. And you're worried. And you're concerned. All I can say as a Christian, believing in Jesus is not easy. It's sometimes really difficult. But deep in your heart, you know that God is there. And you know at the end of time that things will be okay. That the victory is already secure. Because in Jesus, hope, life, love and peace is promised to us. And I don't know about you, but I need to know these things in my life. See, I love watching Kilmarnock. Occasionally they win. That's wonderful. And you know, it's great when they win. And you come out the ground at Rugby Park and, and the crowd, there's a buzz about the crowd. But then they all go home and and you have your dinner. And maybe, you know, that joy lasts for a night. Maybe it lasts for a couple of days. But then they play again. And they probably lose. It doesn't last forever, does it? But when you believe and trust in Jesus, you can know that love forever and ever. You can know that hope of being with him forever and ever. What a glorious hope. What a glorious joy. You see, I want to know God. I want to know the salvation that's in Him. Because I know in my life, I'm too weak. I can't do it in my own strength. What about you today? Do you have ears to hear? If you do, today, may you hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And may you hear what the Spirit says is saying to you put your faith and trust in Jesus and know the joy of your salvation shall we just pray together let's pray our loving heavenly father we thank you for your word to us this day 
And Lord God, we recognize that all these seven churches that we've looked at, none of them was perfect. And yet, Lord God, you gave them a warning, a warning to stop relying on themselves, stop relying on their own riches, and instead to be passionate about you. And Lord God, we recognize in our own lives there's so many things, so many temporal things that we can be passionate about. Our football team, our golf score, our car, our clothes. And yet, do these things really matter at the end of the day? And sometimes we can be so lukewarm about eternal things, about you, Lord Jesus, about what salvation might mean. But Lord God, we thank you that you and your grace have given us a great Savior in Jesus, one who left the glory of heaven, who came in human form here on earth, and the one who died on the cross in our place, paying the price for our sin. And we thank you, Lord God, of the Easter hope of resurrection. On the third day, Jesus rose again in glory. And because he is risen, we too have the hope of resurrection. We too have the hope of life. Because Jesus is the conqueror of death and the bringer of life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that verse that says that Jesus is at the door knocking. And perhaps today we know that Jesus is knocking at the door of our heart longing for us to open the door. Lord God, may we know that today is the day of salvation. May we have the strength to open that door. May we invite Jesus in. And as we invite Jesus in, may we know peace and joy and love everlasting. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this day, we want to pray especially for those who are struggling. And perhaps as we come to worship today, we ourselves are struggling. We remember those who are suffering with ill health, those who are in hospital, and those who are undergoing treatment. And we ask for your hand of blessing and peace to be upon them. We also remember those who have lost loved ones recently, and those who are grieving this day. Lord God, may your hand of peace, your hand of love, your hand of comfort and strength be upon them, we pray. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are suffering in our world, remembering those who are caught up in difficulties in Afghanistan, those who are caught up in violence in Sudan or Ethiopia, those who are living as refugees, those who are seeking to find a better life and are making desperate trips across the English Channel. Lord God, in many ways we cannot even imagine what people must be going through often in our world. But we ask that you would be merciful. And we do thank you for the work of organizations like Tear Fund and all that they are doing in our world and with their partner organizations. And we ask that you would resource them in every way. And we thank you, Lord God, for our tear fund quiz last night and all the money that has been raised for their work. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this day, we are so grateful for the God that you are. 
We thank you that you are the God in whom we can trust. And we ask that you might speak into our hearts and minds this day through your Holy Spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.